For professional advice with a personal touch, consult F.L. Fuller Landau, chartered professional accountants and business advisors. Click on flmontreal.com. Good evening. Welcome to today's Entrepreneur, a program about the entrepreneurial spirit that drives Quebec business. My name is Dan Delmar, along with FL Montreal's Josh Miller for our final show of the season. Good evening, Josh. Hello, Dan. And we'll be heading into our 10th season in the fall. Pretty exciting. Yeah, we are. uh, You know what number show we're at, Dan? 199. Wow. Starting off 10 seasons is going to be number 200. All right, a lot so, of pressure uh, on that show. Who's it going to be? We'll see. Oh, we shall see. In the fall. Uh, all right, this evening on the show, we're going to end on an adventurous note with Stéphane Vachon of Arbraska. Uh, this is a, it's an adventure company. They do ziplining. It is. Well, ziplining, treetop trekking, adventure parks. Uh, there is, uh, there's actually too much story for this hour, but we're going to get to as much as we can uh, when he comes through the door. And on a more serious note, we'll talk to Nick Moreta's tax partner at FL about an aspect of Stefan's story, uh, what happens when tragedy strikes your business and how to respond to that. So that's uh, on the way. Uh, but first, Josh, some entrepreneurial news and notes. And for our last show of the season, um, you want to get to, uh, uh, I guess, being a, a lie detector. Uh, this is an interesting issue because you, you never quite know when your employees sometimes uh, once in a while are being, being truthful. Some, some are trying to get out of work or whatever. H- how do you know? Uh, how, what's the best way to to find out. And I think just to preface this, and I came across this article on entrepreneur.com and, you know, I've been, I get asked a lot of times, what's the biggest trait? What's the best trait to have as an entrepreneur, as a professional, uh, as whatever you're looking at? And while there are many answers to that, uh, I can tell you that I, I consistently say, whether first, second or third attribute, be able to read the person in front of you. If you're able to to have the ability to read the person in front of you, whether it's body language, whether it's tone, whether it's understanding the, the words behind it, you will be in a much better position than if you cannot. It'll help you with negotiations. It'll help you with hiring. It'll help you with just understanding the environment around you. So when this, uh, when I was looking at this article uh, a few days ago, it, it really struck me, and I really did want to bring out to it. And and I'm not saying I'm I'm a personal expert in reading body language and all that, but you do develop. You know, if you're observant, you can develop a certain skill set and a certain knowledge on on what that is. And I, I'd like to I'd like to kind of run through some of the basics and what I read in this uh, Entrepreneur.com article. First and foremost, as most people know words really account for less than 10% of what that person is trying to say. Uh, you know, the, the stat that they put on there is 7%, but second most important is the tone of voice. You can hear what people are saying, you know, the words are there, but you can tell the tone if they're angry or they're not. You've heard many commercials on the radio where they, they may have the same words in different tones, and it uh, it sounds definitely different. But the most important is really the body language and your facial expressions. Those are what really stand out. I mean, Dan, you, you, you know, you're talking PR, you're always in, in a room with somebody, you can just tell. And when you're coaching somebody and, you know, to give, to talk properly in front of a camera, I'm sure these things come out. Absolutely. Whoops. Absolutely. <laughs> it does, it does always come out and um, people don't know how they act. You need an outside observer to tell you this. And, and this is where media coaching comes in handy. And I've actually had people evaluate myself because I can't, I can't really tell how, how, how well I perform on the radio or whatnot. And, and CJD, they call this an air check when you, when you sort of 
go through your shows and make sure that you're presenting correctly and all of that. But everyone kind of who's in a public role needs to be checked by someone independent. And um, yeah, whether it's PR or or just your spouse or a friend, um, have them review your public performance. You know, be very critical about your about yourself and uh, and try to figure out uh, where you can improve because you can always pr- improve your, your performance no matter who you are. And you really have to be self-aware. You know, you can – and some of the things are obvious. You can tell when somebody's sad. You can tell when somebody's angry. Uh, you can tell when somebody is maybe disgusted, you know. Uh, you can tell when somebody's surprised, you know, if their eyes light up. So you can tell a lot of these things happy, even even fear. Uh, fear you can tell, you know, by eyebrows. You can tell by eyelids. You can, you know, you, you can tell a little bit by the mouth. Uh, but what I wanted to kind of bring attention is some of the body language that you can tell when somebody is not being entirely truthful and somebody can fake it. Of course, you can always have the people fake it, but not everybody is so attuned and self-aware what they're doing. So what are some of the common things that you would see if somebody was, was lying, uh, you know, touching your nose, they say people touch their nose, they're, they're thinking they're not exactly telling the truth. Uh, or maybe touching their neck or adjusting their tie, kind of, I don't want to say fidgety, but trying to find something to do with their hand, you know, hiding, rubbing, touching the eyes, uh, even turning their body away from you so that they kind of seem a little closed or don't necessarily want to want to open up uh, to you, your eye, eye contact. When they're not looking at, at you, when they're looking down and to the right, not a good thing. It's, uh, this, is, this, is, this is proven, and this is actually... Um, FBI type stuff. This is this is people that are you know the, the really the, the the security gurus of the world are really they're the ones preaching this. Uh, holding your holding your lapels, you know, is not necessarily a good sign. And, and of course, excessive hand gestures because they're trying to draw you away from from the words. So these are a lot of body language things that that really can indicate you're a liar. Then of course, there's the speech patterns, not necessarily the words, but the speech patterns. Are they talking faster? Are they repeating themselves too much? Are they using delay strategies before answering with a lot of ums and kind of stretching things out? Are they using third-person pronouns more frequently versus the direct knowledge? Are they using more complex words and sentences? These are things that that really are a big, uh, these are some telltale signs. And, And it's funny, the last part of this article kind of the heading is how to ask questions like an FBI agent. And, you know, you're not, you're not trying to grill somebody. It's not an interrogation, but if you can tell if you were in front of your supplier, your customer, your, your employee, your boss or whatever, and you can, you can probably use some of these techniques to figure out if they're actually being truthful with you or not. Uh, so the, the few extra things that they, that they ask, uh, this is towards the end of the article on entrepreneur.com was, you know, you ask emotion-based questions because, you know, it's easy to tell facts. It's easy to lie about facts, but when you add an emotion to it, it's harder to to display if you haven't actually been there. Uh, change a subject. Changing a subject. If you change a subject and the the person in front of you is good with it, that means they're really happy that you moved on. If if the person is telling you the truth and they want to finish what they want to tell, they'll say, "Hang on a sec, let me finish what I was saying." So that's that's another bit of a telltale sign. Get specific. A lot of people talk in generalities, but if you get specific, uh, you know, again, supplier, customer, uh, spouse, you know, where did you go last night? Who were you with? What time would you eat? All these things. If they can answer things specifically, they're probably more truthful. And if they're vague about it, well, then I would, I, you know, I would be suspect. And the last thing that this, that this article talks about is use the rule of three. Answer the same question a little bit differently, 
and see if you get the same response. Hmm. And if you don't, that means they're thinking too much. They're, they're, it's not coming naturally to them. Anyhow, all these, all these aspects can make you a much better negotiator and much better at able to read the person in front of you, which is an absolutely huge asset to have as an entrepreneur. I'll add if, if the person always says, trust me. That that, <laughs> that might be a red, like red flag a, like well. a true politician. If they yeah. start they start tweeting all these things, you know, you you never know. But being able to uh, uh, again, always in my top three, maybe in my top two, if uh, if you are able to have to to gain a knowledge of reading the person in front of you, you're going to have a much bigger advantage. We've ate up the whole segment on just that, but I'll just get your final thought. So you've caught someone in a lie. How do you call them out? What's the what's the, what's the business like way to call someone out on a lie? I think it very de- depends very much on the situation, and it depends on where you are. Uh, you know, I travel to China a lot, and if you want to maintain a relationship, and you you don't want, and you want to continue working, you can't let that person in front of you lose face. You can't necessarily embarrass that person if you want to continue to do business. I would say that probably applies here too, but definitely you have to be culture aware. I think the situation and the individual will dictate how you approach it, whether you do it one-on-one, whether you do it in a group, whether you do it more direct and in their face, or you try and back their way into it so they have a chance to save themselves. Very case-specific. All right, let's go ziplining with Stéphane Vachon of Abraska. That is next. For professional advice with a personal touch, consult F.L. Fuller Landau, Chartered Professional Accountants and Business Advisors. Click on flmontreal.com. Inspiring stories from outstanding business people, Dan Delmar and FL Montreal's Josh Miller with you for today's Entrepreneur. And for our last show of the season, season let's uh, welcome Stéphane Vachon from Arbraska. Welcome, Stéphane. Hello. Hello, Hal. Thanks, uh, thanks for joining us. And uh, first, the easiest question, what is Arbraska? Arbraska, it's uh, adventure parks. Uh, we have 10 uh, parks, five in Quebec, five in Ontario. So uh, people come uh, to my parks to uh, live uh, an adventure in forest at heights, where you cross the forest in the canopy at the treetop. So you cross uh, bridges, obstacle course, uh, you do zip line, uh, Tarzan vines, uh, a lot of uh, cool stuff. Uh, so you are in contact with nature, in contact with your uh, inner self, and also in contact with uh, your friends or family. How long ago did this start? It started uh, 17 years ago. The idea came uh, with my partner uh, at that time, uh, Jean-Marie Bévillard. Uh, we had uh, uh, we had a connection. I was a teacher, and he was in my class as a student. Uh, he was an entrepreneur from France. He came uh, in Canada, and he had uh, uh, that vision. So uh, I was very interested in that. He offered me to join. So that was it. And was, uh, was this a concept that started in France? Like, does it already exist? There? Yeah, very. Uh, fr- in France, the uh, adventure tourism is very uh, well developed, and uh, in the Alps, uh, the guy uh, were uh, having a, a lot of uh, chairlift. So there was a lot of cable and a lot of time apparently. So they start to attach the the the, the trees, mm-hmm. and uh, that 
then uh, the, the Alpineers thought, hey, maybe there's a business out of that. And eventually, in 1993, uh, the first adventure park was created in France. And uh, maybe in two, uh, 2000, there was about 400 of those. And uh, But uh, when the Jean-Marie arrived, uh, that was a fresh market of Blue Ocean. And uh, Quebec was uh, very special because three parks from three different companies, Acrobranche, Abraska and Abraham arrived at the same time. You all started the, the similar business? Similar business in two, two, three weeks difference. So when I, I thought we so you, were, had a, you had immediate competition. Yes, I thought I was, uh, we were alone. That was uh, unique. Boom, Abraham came and stole a bit the name. And so everybody was saying, hey, Abraham, Abraham. They were coming at my park and they were saying, hey, uh, we did Abraham, uh, Rodden. So, uh, but no, that was Abraska rather, right? <laughs> so that was very funny. And uh, another guy arrived uh, in the same market in Mont-Tremblant also. We were in Rodden. Uh, and uh, so that was a very uh, competitive market right away. Now, you, you have 10 locations now, five in Quebec and five in Ontario, correct? Correct, yes. How do you choose your your first location was Rodden? Yes. How did you choose that location, and what drives the the choice of other locations? Well, we had a, a vision that uh, we need to be per urban, uh, needed to have a lot of trees. So there was a lot of uh, idea Saint Sauveur. Uh, then we had an opportunity to have a nice uh, uh, terrain with a nice trees, uh, big uh, pine, uh, white pine. So the location was fantastic with a pit of sand. And uh, so uh, Rodden, you know, when I was a kid, I was going there in the set shoot uh, uh, or uh, there's a lot of lakes. So for me, that was uh, uh, fun. So I said, okay, let's go. Let's do it. What made you choose the business? How did you get into the zip lining thing? Well, I was a business coach, and uh, I was uh, I had a contract uh, with the uh, school board for education, uh, adult education in uh, uh, how to create your business. And uh, Jean Marie uh, came from France, and he he he, he had sold all his uh, business asset, uh, pluck out uh, his family, and uh, arrive in Quebec. And he told me, hey, uh, I need to succeed. Uh, so I have three business ideas. So he had the, the, the pro- Abraska project. But at that time, I did not understand. I said, oh, now it's a bit risky. This is a, So what is a, what are your different uh, uh, project opportunities? I said, well, I would like to do a, a school, a circus school. So, hmm, Cirque du Soleil, Seven, uh, seven Digits, uh, Cirque du Loire, uh, École Nationale du Cirque, hmm. you have a big competition. What is your uh, other project? So he said, uh, well, a bed and breakfast and uh, and uh, art gallery. So I said, okay, this is uh, easy, will not uh, lose money, will not make too much money. So that's it. Because I thought uh, the project in the trees, I did not understand at all the concept. It was so new, and uh, he told me I need to succeed. So uh, that was you had to choose. You had to choose the the most likely one. (laughs) Yes, exactly. But eventually, uh, I changed my heart. uh, 
and uh, I had a dream and uh, I wake up in the in the morning at four in the morning and had that project in my head so uh, the the morning after uh, I had the consultation with him I said hey Jean-Marie no no you have to change uh, your idea we will take the the tree project I said no 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 uh, I mean you told me the Canadian market is not ready for that uh, I need to succeed and I said no I have been serious about that I studied the market it won't work <laughs> so that was the start of the story so when you when you're this the locations rotten do you buy your locations do you rent at it? that time or? I bought my location then eventually uh, my competitors uh, start uh, uh, doing franchise so they were popping out out of nowhere all the time so uh, that was a bit tough because we had to buy the the property then uh and you had to build out you had build to out it. and the guy was sitting uh park uh, it was very uh, uh not uh, too much difficult on capital for them so eventually we we bought the two first land uh rodden and Rigo. and then eventually i said wow i'm I getting beat at my game uh, so uh, i said uh Abraham win on the name i will go in ontario and uh, i will uh, uh, create their great name so i uh, we choose tree top trekking so that was our name and that define the the industry in Ontario now and that's and that's where you're going next so, so what a what a great start to the story i know there's so much there's uh, human resources you employ so many people there's marketing certainly with the competition and then of course you had to deal with a tragedy uh in in your business so when we uh, when we come back we're going to address those few topics news on the way then more with Stéphane Vachon of Nebraska on our final show of the season on today's entrepreneur Professional advice with a personal touch, consult F.L. Fuller Landau, chartered professional accountants and business advisors. Click on flmontreal.com. Welcome back to today's Entrepreneur, presented by F.L. Montreal, a program about the entrepreneurial spirit that drives Quebec business. Dan Delmar and F.L. Montreal's Josh Miller with you for our final show of the season. We'll be back in September, and we're doing some adventuring today with Stéphane Vachon of Arbraska. Uh, this is a ziplining company, five locations in Ontario, five in Quebec, uh, including in Rawdon and uh, and others around Montreal, um, we'll get to uh, I guess some of the the tragic tragic part of your story in a little bit. And, and Nick will talk about this later on. What happens if tragedy strikes your business, and how should a business owner uh, respond to this? Uh, but John, uh, sorry, uh, Josh, uh, what it's been I've a long been, season. I've been called worse, Dan. It's okay. <laughs> what uh, it's been a long season. Uh, the uh, uh, just it's it's a relatively uh, new business. I mean, fifteen years now to have seventeen ten, years. Seventeen years. years yes. Uh, Ten locations. Um, wow, that's a that's a very strong start. <laughs> and, and and really, if it was it was a pretty new concept seventeen years ago, and marketing, I'm sure, plays a big role. I mean, today for sure, but back then, when you're when you're fresh and starting, what did you what worked for you for marketing back then? Well, uh, we had uh, I my background is marketing, uh, so I studied university in marketing, but uh, we had uh, thirty thousand dollars. To invest, eh, uh, to break the sound, the barrier sound and marketing in Montreal, thirty thousand dollars is a penny, penny. Yeah. So we went into guerrilla marketing, uh, going the trench, 
uh, try to do the snowball effects. So really uh, having uh, the first customers, uh, they were so enthusiastic, were so uh, high energy. They said, oh, we want to help you, we want to help you. Give me a brochure. Yes, okay. And then uh, uh, the guy said, hey, uh, give me more brochure. Snowball effect was immense. This is your customers? Yes, because that was so new. That was a so fresh experience. They they were touched by uh, the, the experience. So uh, we were always saying, are you happy? Uh, could you help us? We are a new company. Uh, so the word of mouth was fantastic. Eventually, we had uh, uh, an article in uh, Le Devoir. Le Devoir is not a, a big uh, newspaper, but it has a, a kind of an It impact. has a good following. Yes. So we had the first page in the the... The, the the first page of the second book and uh, we had uh, uh, five uh, sun and four uh, flies because <laughs> there was a bit of flies but the, the article was very good uh, so that was it and eventually we had uh, uh, Journal de Montréal eventually uh, uh, CTV uh, news and then uh, word of mouth and uh, that was booming and what do you do? what so that was great the word of mouth and the and the press and the articles were yeah. great and as you accumulated a few dollars yeah were you able to find areas to spend on or did you really continue that guerrilla type marketing uh, both both we uh, then uh, we went into uh, advertising newspaper um uh, uh we uh cover a uh, 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 a truck with uh, mm-hmm. our advertising we had a lot of brochure uh we gave giveaways to uh, uh top people we think and uh, and then of course you know as you grew with your human resources with your whole team yeah. they of course spread the word as well uh, also but the, the big uh, turnout when we decide to go big in uh, in uh, um, uh, how do you say that billboards? Mm-hmm. We bought uh, once. We bought. Uh, I don't know. We had uh, a good uh, a good support uh, from Astra, and uh, they uh, they help us. And uh, we had uh, uh, maybe one hundred billboards, and boom, one hundred billboards. Yeah, something like that uh, for a couple of weeks. They 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 give us a hand, and uh, that was that. Uh, so the that was big. So event, eventually, we always put eight percent of our budget in marketing. Ma- uh, no media purchase. So we were doing our own media purchase, and uh, we were good in marketing. I had uh, uh, Stephanie uh, Grenier. Uh, she helped me a lot. We were both doing all the marketing, but we always put seven or eight percent. In Meridia Purchase. That was a, a success story. Now, I, I know you're sitting here today yeah. telling your story, but you did, and I, I refer this in the past, you did have a partner that you referred to yeah. that is not sitting here today. Yes. Why is he not sitting here today? He uh, unfortunately passed away of a cancer, and uh, yes. So, so a few years ago, right? Uh, three years ago, yes. Uh, just really... Uh, uh, just when we finished to accomplish the, the dream to have 10 parks, our vision, he uh, unfortunately passed away. 
were you prepared? How did it affect you? How did it affect the business? Well, it's affected the business because, uh, first of all, uh, what is cool to have a, a partner in operation and uh, is when there's a difficulties, you have a confidant. You always can, maybe you're not uh, uh, always in accordance with his decision, but when you go to fight and uh, you have a difficulties, you have a, a, your partner is there. So sometimes in the in life, uh, you you go high, you go down. You're, it's not stable. Uh, stability is not always in entrepreneurship. Come on, no. So having a partner to reflect on situation is good. Uh, so when he he, he disappeared, I said. I had no one to say my story. Sometimes you cannot uh, be confident to uh, tell all your stories to your employees. Bad. I mean, uh, if you have a bad day uh, with this or that, you don't want to spread the word. You're you, you're a leader. You still you're have the to leader. Lead. You're supposed to be the captain of the ship. Uh, you don't uh, tell all your stories. You know. So how how were you able to rally the troops? Were you able to to have a I guess if I can say a positive spin to your team, were they were they helpful to you? Did they inspire you to? to I continue think they did the it for Jean Marie. They want to to succeed. Uh, I mean to to uh, to accomplish the vision, uh, and that's what uh, it's. You know, a company is made of companions. This is a company. Uh, so it's not only about money, it's about uh, uh, individual stories that get together and make things happen. This, this is a company, you know? So uh, this is the what we, we, we are. Uh, at first, uh, we did say, well, we want to be a family, but no. We were the Abraskaians, a tribe, like an Indian tribe. You know? Did you give yourself Indian tribe names? No, but the nicknames. Oh, so nicknames, I, okay. Yes, everybody had the nicknames. Uh, you had the Buddha Bois. Uh, everybody has the nicknames. Jukebox. So when uh, people came, that was our uh, idea. Uh, that George arrived. is not George. is uh, maybe Scoopy. And uh, so <laughs> when you have a problem... His problem is not uh, in the park because he has another personality, a happy personality that receives people. That was the, the concept on HR. And uh, honestly, that's, that's helped uh, pass through difficult time. So when Jean-Marie uh, passed away, everybody uh, put a second effort. And uh, it seems there was always uh, an extra player on the ice. Excellent. Uh, so, so much, uh, such great story and great inspiration. Thank you very much, Stefan. And uh, we'll have Stefan's one piece of advice for today's entrepreneur, the last piece of advice for the season on the way. And up next, Nick Moretis, tax partner at FL, walks us through what to do if a similar tragedy strikes, uh, strikes your business. So that's on the way. Professional advice with a personal touch, consult FL Fuller Landau, chartered professional accountants and business advisors. Click on flmontreal.com. Inspiring stories from outstanding business people, Dan Delmar and FL's Josh Miller with you for our final Today's Entrepreneur of the season. Stéphane Vachon from Arbraska has his one piece of advice for Today's Entrepreneur in a moment. But first, Nick Moretis is back, tax partner at FL. Uh, welcome back, Nick. Hi. And Josh, um, 
let's let's go through the more difficult part of Stefan's story here and and how how you respond if your business partner the other half of your enterprise um suddenly passes and you know the hopefully the lessons here and Nick is going to chat a, about a, a lot of things in a little in a short period of time and these are these are thoughts that you're going to have after your partner passes away but hopefully you can have the takeaway of planning beforehand and, and I guess I'll, we'll just turn it over to Nick. And and what are the first thoughts that come to mind? Well, one of the takeaways of tax planning is is to plan. That's that's a key portion. Is try to plan ahead of time and try to do it right away. Uh, we can't speak to the operational issues that death causes. Uh, that Stefan had to work with. So what we're trying to do is let's now reduce the uncertainty. Uh, what what partners need to understand is that if you're if you're not around anymore, someone's replacing you uh, as owner of your shares, and it's not someone who may be contributing to the business. It's a spouse, it's a child, it's a, a representative of the estate, um, and and all of a sudden now we're we're caught in a in a uh, conflict as to well, what do we do? We don't want that conflict at that time. Neither he or she who might be previewing their, their death, they want to settle it so that their estate gets what they need. And, and the owners who are continuing have the certainty that this is what's going to go happen. So how do we do this? It's basically negotiating and settling a shareholders agreement that, that spells out some four key, I think, factors when it comes to, to uh, what happens on death. Uh, so one of them is, well, are we going to continue as partners or are we buying each other out if, should someone uh, pass away? Uh, how do we determine that value? Should we buy each other or we want to go to court and fight it out when you're not around anymore, one of the partners, or do we decide now? Uh, where are we going to get the cash to buy you out, which therefore brings up the specter of life insurance as, as a means of funding? And then the mechanical, well, how are we going to buy you out? Are we, are we buy, redeeming shares? Are we buying shares? And what do we do? And that's the four key uh, criteria and ingredients that go into the shareholders agreement. So let's start with the first one. Let, let, let's let's go in order. Yeah. So so most of the time is well, I'm not going to be a partner with uh, your spouse or your kids, so I'm going to buy you out, and that works fine. And in the beginning, that's exactly what may sh- should happen. As life continues and you're getting older, and the kids grow up, and you're and let's say your kids now start working in your business, and 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 they're part of the, p- the picture. All of a sudden, well, do you want your shares to be bought out, or do you want your shares to go to your kids so they can continue? Now you open up the discussions again. But, but generally, ho- hopefully, those decisions and discussions happen while everybody's alive. While everybody's going on, yeah. But then, but that's the thing. It's it's normally it's and that's sometimes very curious. You're you're discussing with some of our clients who are just starting out their business, and here we are walking in there. We want to talk. Talk about the the shareholders agreement and dying even before you've made your first buck, but that's that's life. The second uh, the fight that usually does happen is the valuation. Um, if it's not spelled out anywhere, you're going to get an, an estate or a spouse or a child or the representative of the estate coming and saying this business is worth a lot of money, and the owner who's still alive is saying, wait a second, this business is not worth what it used to be. I just lost my partner. Who is, who is my confidant, who is my helper. How do we reconcile? We're either going to court to fight it out or you're hiring a lot of professionals to to negotiate for you. So it's best to have that idea, either a mechanical calculation or a process that's identified in the shareholders' agreement. This is what we're going to do and this is what's going to give the value. And, of course, it, it's great to have those discussions when everything is good and you have that, that good relationship when things go bad or at a sudden death. 
uh, you know, when you're not sure there's things that maybe aren't perfect in your business, it's much more difficult to have that. And we could probably have a whole other show with Stefan uh, on his experience because it happened so suddenly. Um, but uh, but th- these but are this things is, that you can't always absolutely. Foresee. And then and then all this comes in. How are we going to pay you? If especially if there's a bank involved, especially if uh, we we have money to reinvest, we have money to maybe pay some dividends. But we may not have the money to buy out uh, a person, especially if they're a sizable shareholder, which therefore goes into life insurance. But as you know, life insurance is you get it today for hopefully, well, hopefully, we're probably using it many, many, many years in the future. But you got to get down and do it today and discuss wh- how much do you need? Do you buy a little? Do you buy a lot? And there's a, there's a whole discussion on because that. Of, because there's also a cash flow effect. Absolutely. Uh, today that, you know, when your business is starting out, you can't necessarily afford it. Until you start making something, it, it's that and thing. I see Stefan. He keeps nodding his head, yeah. even though he's not saying anything. He's being very good, uh, but uh, definitely there's cash flow considerations. It's it's usually that that first meeting with clients. You're just starting out your business. Well, the second thing after a shareholders agreement to case your dad, let's go out buy life insurance. But wait a second, we, we want to start earning some money, and then comes the mechanical details as to well, how are we buying you out, and and that's usually a, a question of some tax planning. It's a discussion, and and it's it's trying to realize how much insurance is available. How, what do you think the company is going to be worth? And and then try to do some tax planning around it to get the, a hybrid between the two. Stefan, and not to go into any details, but did you feel that you were prepared when your partner passed away? No, not that? at all, not at all. I mean, he was 63 uh, years old. Uh, so I thought uh, that was not even a topic. At first, we had insurance, but uh, exactly it was costing too much. We were paying $10,000 a year or, or more. So we eventually, uh, in the process, we flushed that out and yeah. cash in. And, uh, and 10 years after... He passed away. And this is something that we, we tend to find it with uh, with shareholders' agreement and when you're talking about death. Uh, you, you Sometimes you just cannot afford to keep adding more and more insurance. It's just costing a lot. And and usually then what you got to do is sit there, okay, fine, so we're not going to buy insurance, but my shares keep going up in value. How are you paying me? The difference between the insurance. Let's come up with some, some schedules so we're not fighting. Yeah, uh, thank you guys. Uh, topic that we can probably go on for a, a really and the last long one time. for the for the season. And the I last hear, right? one for yes. the season, okay. exactly. So we're it's a positive note. So we're going to end on a really positive note. Uh, and and thank you, Dan, for the great season. But as we do before before the end of each program, Stéphane Vachon from Arbraska, what would be your one quick piece of advice for today's entrepreneur? I would say uh, uh, be true to receive truth, meaning that. Uh, be fair uh, in your business we do uh, with other people. Be fair to yourself. Don't lie uh, to anyone and more so to yourself. So be true to receive truth. Excellent. What goes around comes around. Stéphane Vachon of Arbraska, thanks so much for stopping by. Thank you so much. And Nick Moretis, thank you very much. And thanks, Josh, for a great season. I, I'm off back to work, to more, more inspired to work on my business. We're, we're all, we're all going to be more inspired yeah. after the season. Another great season. See you in September. You got it.